You're listening to the Beyond Disciplines podcast, produced by the Faculty of Arts and Science at Concordia University in Montreal. The Beyond Disciplines podcast is a conversation series that brings scholars together across different fields of knowledge. From job applications to morning radio to late night comedy TV, interviews are all around us. But what role does interviewing play in academic research? Join us today for a look at the art of the interview. We'll hear from four researchers at Concordia who are all using interviews as part of their methodology. Francine Pelletier, Krista Byers Heinlein, Craig Hetherington, Liz Miller, and Shannon Hebblethwaite. Do you remember one great interview that sticks out in your mind where it kind of, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, I think that the most interesting interviews for me are the kids with the most complicated language situations. So I've um, interviewed some parents where between, you know, grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and all these people in their lives who speak different languages, the, the kid might be exposed to five or six different languages. Now, we don't know what the limit is for the number of languages uh, that you can learn, um, but, but it's always interesting really learning about families' lives and how they work. One of the things we're just trying to understand, and it's, it's very poorly understood, is even what's the, the normal path of development for someone who's growing up with two languages. It might not be exactly the same as a baby who's learning just one language. Um, so, so you get parents sometimes who are worried that their baby is delayed, and even speech-language pathologists who don't know how to clinically evaluate a baby who's from a bilingual background um, to know, do they really have a language difficulty or language disorder, or is this just part of bilingual development. So sometimes we don't think about the fact that, you know, babies can only learn things at a certain rate, for example. So, uh, you know, if, if a baby can learn, uh, you know, 10 words in a month, um, if you're learning one language, great, all your words will be in, in English, say, but if you're learning two languages, half your words will be in French and half your words will be in English. So, okay, that bilingual baby now has learned five English words compared to that monolingual baby who's learned 10 English words. So if you just looked at the English, you could say, oh my gosh, that bilingual baby is way behind, only knows half as much. Well, it's not actually true. The other half of their knowledge is in the other language, right? So they can't learn twice as fast. So it's really important for us to have perspective on what to expect at different ages, what's the normal path, um, so we can uh, really you know, support these kids and, and know when they might have a speech and language problem or, or when it's just normal development that we'd expect. There's, there's a kind of a class of interview that I always, I, I always had trouble getting into and I always um, was worried about going into them. I still am. They're still very difficult for me, which is when I talk to producers. And there's, there's two reasons that why... That means farmers? That farmers, yes. So they call themselves producers to differentiate themselves from farmers who are the people who think that the producers are bad. And there's this whole thing about that. So the, the producers or the, the sojeros, as in the soy producers, um, are uh, because I sort of started thinking of them as bad people. That was how I first encountered them. Um, that, it made it very difficult for me to, to, to figure out how I was going to um, encounter those. But also because in the age of Google, when I ask someone for an interview, they immediately look me up and they find out that I've published things about people with whom that they disagree, right? So, so I know going into any of these encounters, if someone grants me an interview, that we're already going in in some ways on an antagonistic uh, basis. 
And so the interviews that I love, that I come out of thinking that was a great interview, are the ones where they start like that and then some switch happens for whatever reason. And you find a way in which you don't necessarily agree on everything, in fact you generally don't, but, um, but you learn to sort of respect each other in the moment and you learn to have a really great conversation anyways. Um, and so, so there have been a couple of those. There was one last year where I met someone over over beer at a, at, a, at a party that another producer had, had invited me to and I was very, very nervous and um, went to this place and there were all these, these producers talking their producer talk and talking about how all the peasants that I hang out with are ignorant and terrible and you know, I'm having to hold my tongue. And one of these people I started talking, uh, started just chatting with and he ended up inviting me back to his place and we spent two days together, most of it on tape. Um, just talking about his life story and this really, and he was just a really, really great person. I keep in touch with him now as well, um, even though we both understand that we have very different positions on the way he makes his living. Well, for example, I was uh, drawn to a story in Panama of an indigenous island um, that was actually planning, uh, doing a planned retreat. The stories I've heard a lot of are sinking islands, but I hadn't heard of like a community coming together. And one of the things that I tell my students in terms of like good documentary practice is you want to be with someone who's in the process of making a difficult decision. And so um, this particular island was in the process of a boom in tourism. And so the younger generation was like really happy about all the things that were happening in the sinking island, like all of this uh, opportunities. And the older generation were really feeling like we have to be in control of this process and we want to move. So I wanted to be a part of this community making this difficult decision. We've been asking them generally about to tell us their story. So we've been doing narrative research, very broad questions. Tell us your story of becoming a mother and what that means to them, what their experience has been like. And we ask them specifically about the leisure that they engage in, whether that has changed for them, and so the one thing that uh, that's sort of, again, new and maybe artful about our interviewing technique is we ask them to bring these artifacts, and that's what this picture is that I'll try to explain for you a little bit. Um, this was what one mother called a fairy godmother box. And so we asked them to come to the interview and share their experience of being a mom and what that meant to them, and to do that with some objects, things that were meaningful full for them in their transition. So we saw a wide variety of things. But this, I think, is an interesting illustration of that. One mother shared her story of really resisting this sense of the commercialization of motherhood and this sense that you have to buy all this expensive stuff in order to be, quote unquote, a good mother. And she, she really didn't want any part of that discourse and she told this story in her way of resisting that, that her friends and family through her baby shower for her. And instead of giving her the expensive bamboo blankets that her baby was only gonna barf on, which was her words, uh, they, they gave her this fairy godmother box and, and they all put something personal and special in there. And what this kind of highlighted for us, they, they brought things like poems that they loved or stories that they liked to share or pieces of advice, those sorts of things, poems they had written themselves 
themselves, and it was a chance for these pri primarily women, although she did talk about some fairy gunkles, God, not fairy godmothers, but fairy gunkles who were involved as well, that were able to kind of pass on their knowledge. Thanks again for listening to the Beyond Disciplines podcast, supported by the Faculty of Arts and Science at Concordia. Concordia University is located on unceded indigenous lands. The Ganyagahaga Nation is recognized as the custodians of the lands and waters on which we gather. Jojage, or Montreal, is historically known as a gathering place for many First Nations. Today, it is home to a diverse population of indigenous and other peoples. We respect the continued connections with the past, present, and future in our ongoing relationships with indigenous and other peoples in the Montreal community. This episode was produced by Aaron Lakoff and Simone Lucas. Thank you to all our guests. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. When you're there, leave us a rating and a review. It helps other people find this podcast. Questions or comments? Email us at beyonddisciplines at gmail.com.